0: Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of Black Girls Have Anxiety 2, the safe space created for Black women by Black women to strip away the taboo of talking about mental health. You'll hear from mental health professionals and advocates as well as Black women sharing their experiences as we break down the complexities, explore ways to heal, and support each other. My name is Ashley, I'm your host. Whether you're a seasoned regular or this is your first time tuning in, thank you so much for your support. Now let's get into today's episode. back, everyone, to another episode of Black Girls Have Anxiety 2. I'm your host, Ashley Nas, and happy Valentine's Day. Yes, happy V-Day, y'all. I, um, yeah, I'm excited to bring the conversation I had with a great guest. A lot of y'all might know her. Her name is Bianca Ward. Y'all probably remember her. Uh, she was on Black Girls Have Anxiety 2, um a while back, I think a few months ago is when her episode dropped and she's amazing y'all. She has, uh, one of the most listened to episodes and it's, uh, called, are you mentally ready for a relationship where we really dug into, um, how do we self-differentiate? What is self-differentiation and how does it impact how we connect with other people, whether it be platonically or romantically. So, um, if you guys don't remember, Bianca is a graduate student that's currently studying marriage and family therapy. And she also brings along years of experience as a certified dating coach. Um, So she's using the latest science-backed tools combined with her friendly approach to help women build the romantic relationships that they desire from the ground up. She has a wealth of knowledge. and yeah, I'm excited to bring her back on the podcast today. I am excited to share the conversation with you guys. But before we get into that, I've been curious about like what what do you do on a first date? Now, for those of y'all that might listen to the podcast often, you probably know I've been married for a while and um, been with my husband for over a decade now. So I'm not uh, I'm not as experienced in the first date arena, especially. Um, in the state of dating nowadays, which seems to be more online than anything. So what did I do? I went and did some research and here are some of the things that I found. Nearly 70% of individuals who met someone on a dating app said it led, led to a romantic exclusive relationship and about 28% pe- people percent of people said it didn't. Um, I was wondering, like I mentioned, like is everybody just meeting online nowadays? Um, or are people still meeting in person? And I found that um the most common ways that people in the states are meeting people these days. Uh 39% are meeting online, 27% are meeting in bars and restaurants, 20% through friends, um 11% are meeting people at work, 9% are meeting people at school, and 7% through family. Now this has changed obviously over the years. This has been like decades of, uh, we've had a couple decades now of online dating, but I'm like, what, what were people doing before? Like in the nineties, before we got the, um, plenty of fish and the uh, other dating sites that I cannot remember the names of right now, (laughs) but roll it back to 1995. Where were people, meeting. Um, 33% were actually meeting through friends. Uh, 19% of people were meeting at bars and restaurants, 19 people, 19% of uh, people were meeting at work. 19% of people were meeting at school, 15% through family and 2% online. So that was 1995. So those, I imagine those people that were meeting online were probably like, I don't know, coders or something. Like most people, I mean for people that are maybe Gen Z listening to this, not everybody had like internet back in the day, (laughs) particularly 1990s. Um, So if you were meeting online in 1995, you had a lot of patience because that dial up was not a, not a game. Okay. Um, So interesting. It's interesting to see how the dating landscape has changed, but I honestly was expecting online dating nowadays to be higher than 39%. What do you guys think? Do you think that people are meeting more online or not online? Um, I, part of the conversation with Bianca today is um, what to do on a first date in terms of like, what are some red flags? What are some green flags to look out for? And of course I went down another rabbit hole of statistics of what happens on first dates. And according to a study conducted by uh, the New York Post, so they did, or not a study, a survey. Those are two different things I'm learning. (laughs) So they surveyed 2,000 people that were actively dating here in America that were over the age of 21. uh, And here's what they found. Uh, More than half of people tend to go for dinner uh, in a movie for their first date. Um, half of the respondents preferred casual drinks, uh, followed by coffee at 43% or going like to a market or on a picnic. Um, they found that on average, a first date lasts around three hours. So just under three hours. And it takes, these respondents said it took them about four dates to feel comfortable with that person. So I guess patience is key, right? Um, one third of respondents felt the least comfortable part about going on the date is nerves, which makes sense. And some people said that sipping on their favorite drink, uh, about 57% of people did that wearing their favorite outfit. So feeling really good about yourself and what you're wearing and then choosing a familiar location helped with those first date jitters. Um, 46% of people found that drinking way too much on a first date is actually a turnoff. Now, way too much is up for, like, that's subjective, right? But I mean, if that's your thing, that's your thing. But if it's not, you know, it seems like it's going to be a turnoff for some people. Um, so there are some other interesting things that I found in here. Uh, top signs of a first date gone bad uh, included 65... 65- Included being ghosted after, which uh, 65% of people shared that. And then making an excuse to leave the date early, 65%. And then awkward moments of sil- silence was another top sign of the date not being good. Um, 16% of, uh, only 16% of respondents haven't been on a di- first date that went wrong. So that's like over 85%. 84% of people in this survey that said that they've been on a first date that went wrong. So makes me wonder, do you guys, have you guys been on first dates that went terrible? Do you have a first date story? Um, are you anxious on your first date? Like, do you tend to get anxious? Were you anxious on a first date in the past? Like, how was their anxiety level and what makes you feel better, what makes your anxiety feel better in terms of like how you prep for that for that date or what you do on the date. I'm curious. So slide into the DMs and let me know. Um I wanted to really get into this conversation specifically with Bianca because of the way that she kind of like has this very unique take on relationships. And I'm excited to share this conversation because we're gonna get into what are some of the red flags when it comes to dating? What are the green flags? because I know we focus on red flags a lot, but what are some of the good things to look out for in that initial date? Um, and then how do you stay safe? Um, that's also another thing that we wanted to get into a little bit is just some couple pieces of advice on how you can make sure you're staying safe out there um, in the dating world. One thing that I found at, or I didn't find as I was doing research is there it's really hard to find research um, that specifically research in terms of studies and surveys when it comes to black people dating, but also black people that are not necessarily in like heteronormative relationships. Um, so I'm trying, I was trying to look for like more stats that were specifically on black people, uh, or about black people and then stats that, specifically covered Black people that are in the LGBT community, LGBT plus community. And y'all, it left me scratching my head. So if you know of any studies, um, my therapist, by the way, has asked, has uh, been um, asking me to ask for help more. So here's my ask for help is like, if you have seen a study or two, or if you're a part of a study or a survey that specifically asked about the the black experience within the dating world um, or the LGBT, your LGBT experience within the dating world, please send it my way. If there's a crossover where it's like black people and LGBT, that would be great too. But I honestly like, where are we at in terms of research and study? Like we're just not in, we're, we're, we're just not in enough studies. And I would like to learn more about us and our particular experiences in that world. But uh, I'm going to stop babbling on and we're going to get into this episode with Bianca. I hope you guys enjoy it and send me your feedback afterwards before I switch over. I do just want to ask you if this is your first time listening to the podcast, thank you so much for joining. If it's not your first time and you are a seasoned listener, um, y'all leave me a little review. Hopefully it's five stars. Um, wherever you listen to the podcast, if you could leave me a, re- a review, that would be amazing. It helps the podcast get um, seen, um, and just get get more people to be part of our community. So, uh, I really appreciate you guys listening. If you could leave me a little review, whether it is on Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen, I would really appreciate that. All right, thank you guys. Let's get into this conversation. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Black Girls Have Anxiety 2. Y'all, I am here with Bianca Ward. Bianca, welcome back.
1: Thank you so much for having me again.
0: Yes, of course. Thank you for coming back. Um, We had such a good episode last time. Um, For those of y'all that are avid listeners, you probably remember Bianca was on the pod a little while ago, a few months ago. If this is your first episode, make sure y'all scroll back. That was such a good episode. Um, so many good gems in the episode. So y'all know I had to bring her back um, beginning of the year. I was like, man, we need to like, y'all know I don't usually do themes, but this year, I'm, you know, I'm going to try out the theme thing. So I was like, well, who better to come back and talk about Valentine's Day than Bianca? And I wanted to talk about like, what are some ways to navigate um, dating? And especially that early stage of dating. Um, I want to talk about like, what, what do we look for in terms of red flags? And maybe we can talk a little bit about green flags too. Yeah. Like some good things that we can look out for. Um, and then also just some tips, like how to navigate those, that first date, or maybe like your first few dates. Mm-hmm. All right. So before we jump into like red flags, What is, um, like, what are one of the first things that you should maybe kind of like prepare yourself for when when you're going into a first date, like mentally prepare yourself for?
1: You should mentally prepare yourself to make it your priority to actually have fun on the date. That should be your only goal, especially for the first date, because I meet so many women who put so much pressure on themselves to like find the one, find this person that you can create this amazing long-term relationship with. But if you can't have fun with that person, you're not going to be able to actually implement all the healthy things either. And I feel like that often is like deprioritized in the dating process. So that's definitely like my first best tip for you because the early stages of dating are the most like critical that is the most critical point for you to start like implementing boundaries and actively practicing those things because that sets the stage for the rest of your relationship.
0: Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that you say having fun too, because I, I'm i not single, but I have a lot of single friends and I definitely feel that people really want to get an understanding of like, what are your values? What are your goals in life? And, um, especially as you're getting, as people get older I feel like there's more of a focus on like the serious stuff yeah. as opposed to like when you're dating maybe in your early 20s or late 20s I don't know <laughs> there, there might not be a big there. there's probably more focus on fun um but then life starts to get real and then the things that you want and maybe didn't get in past relationships start to like receive a lot of your focus um so I love that It's like taking back the seriousness a little bit and just having a good time.
1: Yes, definitely. That's major. Like that's something I noticed too, even with the older couples that I've worked with in the past as well. Like when they're having a lot of conflict too, that also gets deprioritized a lot and people do not realize that, but like the majority of the conflict that you have in a romantic relationship is not something that actually can be resolved. So it is so important for you to make sure that this is even somebody that like you can actually have fun with.
0: Yes. Okay, I want to dig deeper into that. What do you mean by the conflict, uh, majority of conflict can't be solved? What does that mean?
1: Yes. So based on research in the marriage and family therapy field, they have found specifically um, John Gottman and his wife, Julie Gottman's work that they've done, they found that about 70% of conflict that couples literally argue and engage in is not something that can be resolved. So these are things that typically boil down to like the root issue is just a difference of opinion and a difference of value systems and ideas. If that is the core of an argument, there's literally nothing that you can try to fix or solve there. You just, you just recognize that, okay, We are two distinctly unique individuals with two different belief systems, and that's okay. It says a lot more about the couple if they are able to recognize that, acknowledge it in the moment, say that to their partner, and then continue to engage in a productive conversation with them and use that conversation as a way to better understand one another's viewpoints and beliefs and ideas, because that helps to promote intimacy between both of the partners.
0: So when you say we, you know, if some of these conflicts can't actually be resolved, we're not saying like, that means that you can't have a relationship.
1: Right. That is not what we're saying. When we say that it cannot be resolved, we are literally saying, so you know how Whenever there's a lot of um, couples, and I know specifically with like the women that I work with, they tend to be very career driven women. They're very ambitious. They love to bring up issues (laughs) as soon as they see them in a relationship. But the problem with that is, if the issue is that you just have a different political opinion, for example, your partner does and you have a different way of looking at a different political issue than they do there's nothing that needs to be solved there's nothing wrong in the moment so when we say that the conflict cannot be resolved we're literally just saying the root of this issue is not a problem and it's not as big as you are making it seem. (laughs) Ah, I see.
0: So maybe kind of like putting too much focus on it. Yes. Like agreeing to disagree is a healthy thing.
1: Yes. Agree to disagree. That is very healthy. That's a great way to engage in a productive conflict discussion. And as well, on top of that too, even with like having a difference of opinion too, I think what trips people up the most, and I've seen this across genders as well, is the fact that when you engage in these conflict discussions, the majority of us do not have healthy examples of what healthy conflict looks like. And so we're Mm -hmm. used to getting into these periods where we're feeling these really heavy, strong emotions like anger, frustration, sadness. And underneath those things is a feeling of, my partner doesn't understand me, or I'm not feeling heard, I'm not feeling validated in this moment. And when you start to feel like that, the situation is so heavy that you start to think there must be a problem here. Because if there wasn't a problem, I wouldn't be feeling these emotions. But I think sometimes people either forget, or maybe they just don't realize, like, we literally are animals, like, we're social creatures. So There's so many things embedded in us biologically that are there as a way to protect us. Like we feel these heavy emotions to protect us from danger so that we stay away from it so that we Mm -hmm. don't get hurt because biologically, like throughout history, we had to do that to like physically survive on the planet, right? Mm -hmm. But because our biology is still there, you can't change your biology but you can gain an awareness and understand that just because this feels heavy and serious does not mean that in reality it is. So that's what I mean when I say that it can't be resolved because there, there wasn't an issue or a problem.
0: Hmm. Yes. That makes sense. That's great. Uh, That's great advice. I think for anybody at any stage in, in a relationship or in um, if y'all are in situationships, (laughs) I know some what of I, y'all are <laughs> um okay so what is um what is a potential like when you're going for a first date mm-hmm. we like you just said we want to keep it light have fun yeah. but what are some green flags that we're looking for or that we can keep an eye out for and I, I'm saying we I ain't going on a no first date I'm on like the <laughs> hundred, two I'm saying we as a collective y'all that are listening <laughs> Um, But what should people kind of look out for uh, as far as green flags?
1: Mm -hmm. You should definitely look out for someone specifically if they are talking about past experiences that they've had. You want to make sure that that person is not necessarily talking negatively about anyone. This is something I see a lot. You know, women will go on first dates with a man that like embodies all these qualities that she feels like she's looking for. And that's wonderful and fantastic. But then he opens his mouth and he starts talking about exes or, you know, um, even sometimes I've heard this come up with um, them talking about friends or even their mother. Mm-hmm. You really mm-hmm. want to make sure that the person that you're speaking to, if they're talking about something that they don't like or negative experience, they're talking about it in a way of they're acknowledging their role in the situation. And also Mm -hmm. they're acknowledging that even though this was like a negative experience, they're not taking a, like a victim type of position and you can identify if someone's taking a victim position by the way that they're talking about that topic. So like, for example, if you're on a date with someone and they're saying something like, you know, um, I'm sorry that I'm late because this person you know, they've cut me off in traffic. And also on the way here, I felt like the delivery person or something was like rude to me that (laughs) stay away. That sounds like such a small thing, but I've seen this so many times it causes issues because that tends to be someone who views other people as like the problem. And and mm. they're not taking ownership for like their role in something. So a green flag would look for someone who's talking about the situation and instead says something like, oh, you know, um, I'm really sorry that, you know, maybe I was I was a few minutes late on the date than what I would have liked. That's mm. perfectly fine. That's perfectly good. They didn't blame anyone. They took accountability and responsibility for the fact that they were late.
0: Yeah. I love that. So looking for those little hints of accountability Yes, and also people that tend to blame other things that happen. I think um, another thing that you mentioned of just like people who are uh, tend to kind of bring up things that are, I don't want to say negative, but somebody who's shifting the focus to something that has negatively happened. I want to dig deeper into that because I hear about people kind of like trauma, trauma dropping. Yeah. Can I say trauma
1: dropping? Trauma, trauma dumping. Bombing. Yeah. Trauma dumping. Yes. That's
0: the word I'm looking for. Um, on the first date out the gate. Ugh. And I feel like some people think, you know, I'm being my authentic self. I'm sharing a lot. Um, but I can imagine, like you said, we want to keep it fun and light and kind of see like, who is this person? What do you, Are we enjoying the same things? Yes. What are some pieces of advice that you have around Maybe somebody that's listening tends to be the trauma dumper and it's like in the name of I'm being my authentic self and I'm sharing my deepest, darkest secrets with you. Mm-hmm. What what advice do you have for them?
1: Um, some advice that I have first and foremost, and I mean this in the most loving and gentle way possible, I would definitely recommend maybe like some form of individual therapy or just working with, even if it was just a coach. Working with someone who is trauma-informed, someone who is highly educated on topics of like family, relationships, those kinds of things. And the reason that I say that is because literally about like, I'd say maybe 90-ish percent of the time, people who are showing up in that way, especially early on in creating a connection with another person, tends to have very codependent qualities to them right? So Mm. codependency is a very specific type of dysfunctional relationship, where both of the partners are depending on one another. um, But one partner more strongly depends on the other person for things like emotional validation, feeling wanted, feeling loved, like so much of their mental energy. And over time, their emotional state, depends on what happens in that connection with the other person. Um, and that can be really, really unhealthy. And I also um, want to say on this as well, you know, you want to be careful about bringing up things that are really personal and close to you, especially that early on in trying to establish a connection with another person. Because, this is why I say just prioritize the first like two dates on just having fun and seeing if this is is this is someone you can actually be happy and have fun with is because over time naturally as you establish this connection you two naturally will start to talk about those deeper level topics you will be authentic and talk about those deep level things but if you don't start out by you know having more fun and allowing the connection over time to establish things like trust, intimacy, vulnerability over time, then it ends up becoming something that is very codependent and that is harmful to both people in that kind of dynamic. So you want to mm. make sure that, you know, you're, you're giving yourself and the other person time, right? Like that's a great boundary to set for yourself. And if you notice that maybe the other person is doing that, It's okay to, you know, just set a boundary with them. You can redirect them and just let them know, like, hey, um, I'm really enjoying spending my time with you, um, and I'd love to um, be vulnerable, but I would like to take more of a a slower pace in getting to, Mm. like, know you and establishing this because I enjoy my time with you so much that I want to make sure that when we're building something, it's something that's healthy and that serves us both. Yeah. And most people receive that very well.
0: Yeah. I I love that you're getting like both perspectives of the, the trauma dumper. Yeah. And the person that is potentially like, you know, they're backing up the, the, the dump truck and like they're getting ready <laughs> to dump and giving people um, you know, like phrases. This is like something I love to do with my therapist because I love like role playing and getting an understanding of like how am I saying things? How could it be perceived? But I mm-hmm. think um, giving the people, giving people tools to start to set, set boundaries on that first, uh, date to be able to say like, Hey, this is, I'm having a great time. Like, let's just slow down just a little bit and maybe talk about, you know, let's talk about this, like maybe another day, but let's focus on being present.
1: Yes. Yes. That is so powerful. Um, and that is a green flag within itself on both directions. It's a green flag if someone is able to set that boundary, if you're the trauma dumper, because Mm -hmm. first of all, that tells you that that person is very educated on healthy relationships. That's a green flag. And two, that tells you that even if that person maybe felt uncomfortable bringing bringing that up to you, they still were willing and able to do it. That is a wonderful sign. And on the other end too, if you're the one that's bringing it up, and that's great you know that's not an easy thing to redirect a conversation or set a boundary especially with a new person because you never really know how they're going to respond to that or if they're even somebody who's used to setting or allowing other people to have boundaries as well so mm. that can be really insightful for the both of you
0: yes I want to talk a little bit about emotional maturity and what are some signs of emotional maturity? Obviously the one that we just discussed is definitely seems like it would be a sign of it, but (laughs) yeah, yeah, I'm curious, like what are others for, for people that are dating and emotional maturity is something that they value.
1: Yes. Like
0: how can they kind of gauge that out the gate?
1: You can definitely gauge if someone is emotionally mature, especially if they can validate things that you share with them. Like we've been talking about, you know, like trauma dumping and things like that. So if you find yourself kind of like being a trauma dumping kind of person and you recognize you're bringing up very vulnerable topics, it's also a good sign too. even if when you bring that up, the person that you're speaking with is able to validate what you're saying. Validating is a huge um, signal that the person that you are engaging with has high levels of emotional, um, of empathy. So you want to make sure that the person that you're speaking to says things to you like, that makes sense to me. Um, I understand how you would feel that way in this situation. You want to really engage with someone who is taking the time to listen to you and also offer statements that make you feel like you are heard and you are understood in that moment. That is my biggest clue for determining if someone is emotionally mature.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's really helpful. Definitely. I want to, uh, how can you kind of tell out the gate when it comes to compatibility? Okay. So yeah, this, (laughs) this one I'm very curious about because I wonder Like, yeah. Where do you, where do you begin when it comes to like, am I compatible? Am I just having a good time? Should I, uh, should I keep going with this person? Like, what are some signs?
1: Okay. All right. So let me preface this by saying this real quickly. Okay. So in our dating culture, compatibility is something that, is like a major topic, you know. There's a misconception that if somebody is not compatible with another person, that there's a higher likelihood of either divorce or, in a case of just a typical unmarried relationship, there's a case of separation. Okay, that's not necessarily true or accurate. We've never really had enough research in the field to validate that. So, mm-hmm. just want to bring that up there. Um, and so, what you really want to look for the way that I determine whether or not a couple is compatible is how well they can manage their differences together and still be able to work towards shared goals in the relationship, right? So I'm not looking at typical, you know, how our culture defines compatibility as if, you know, how similar you are and like values and things like that, really long-term, it really doesn't matter. The most successful couples really are just able to manage those differences.
0: Wow. Can you give us some examples of like, what is it, what is managing differences look like on a first or second date?
1: Yeah. So on a first or second date, most of the time I've seen that as if both um, people are maybe talking about their work or they're sharing certain hobbies that they like to engage in, you want to make sure that the person that you're talking to seems really interested, first of all, in what you're saying. And that might sound small, but you'd be surprised how many people don't really seem (laughs) interested in what's happening. You know, you want to make sure you're engaging with someone that asks you questions about your interests, why you like your hobbies, why is that something that you love to do? You also, um, as well with managing differences that early on, other than little signs like that, it's really hard to kind of tell that early, just because you haven't, you haven't had enough time to like establish those more foundational elements that I was talking about previously, like trust, intimacy, all those kinds of things. But Another thing that you can look out for really quickly as well is if you are talking about, you know, things that are important to you, you want to make sure that um, the other person is also able to like share things about themselves as well. And maybe maybe there's someone who is so excited about what you're sharing that they, you know, say things like, oh, I'd love to, you know, maybe try this with you.
0: Mm, like genuine interest
1: genuine interest even specifically interests that are different than the ones that you have in common mm, that's what that's okay. how you know that it's one that is more compatible in terms of like that definition of managing differences it's interests yeah. that you don't share ah okay
0: i like that okay um what about when it comes to like showing up as your like most authentic self or versus showing up as your representative and i think we all kind of move through the world in a way i feel like for a while at least with our representative representative as like the first person or the first version of people uh that they generally show so If other people haven't heard of this, this is, I won't get, I I don't know too much about the actual concept. I just kind of know the phrase of like, you're showing up as your representative and as you get to know somebody more, this shield or these layers of this onion kind of like eventually go away and then you actually meet them. Now for somebody that wants to show up as authentically as possible, how do they do that without feeling like they... What am I trying? I I don't know if you get what I'm trying to ask, but like, I, if people want to show up as their authentic self, do you have any suggestions around doing that versus like trying to show up in a way that's like I
1: want to get a second date? Yes, I always recommend doing some deep breathing before you engage in your date with the other person, and I always recommend as well to literally writing out three to five different emotions that you want to experience while you're on your date. Because that can be so telling. If you are somebody who, you know, doesn't take a lot of time sitting in your body, feeling the sensations, being with your emotions, it is so easy to get into those trauma bonded relationships with another person. And there's a lot of signals and things that I'm talking about that it's very likely you will miss. But if you take time to write down like your top 3 to 5 emotions that you want to feel and experience on your date and they're specifically positive ones and you take a couple minutes to sit with yourself before the date really feel through what do these emotions feel like in my body? It'll be at the forefront of your mind. So when you're on your date and you're feeling calm, for example, or, you know, maybe you're feeling really like excited. You're really familiar with that emotion. And it makes it, I think, easier sometimes for your mind to consciously recall um, later on, like when you think about how your date went later, what mm. were you feeling and experiencing? I feel like your assessment is much more accurate because it was fresh in your mind.
0: Mm, I like that. For people that have you know, the list, the, like the list of like, these are the 10 or a hundred for some people, 50 things that I need this person to have. Like what is a reasonable non-negotiable list Mm -hmm. to walk into date one with? Because I think, and I guess from my, again, very outsider opinion, (laughs) sometimes people have non-negotiables and then they don't go past date one, but it could have potentially been something that could have been explored a little deeper. And maybe there was like chance to meet in the middle or, you know, I feel like sometimes there people are kind of missing opportunities yes, because the non-negotiable list is, has not been checked off. It's almost like people are like going in with like a little checklist. Like, do you do this? Do you eat this way? Do you yeah. have this job? Check, check, check. And then they give people uh, a second chance.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Well, yeah.
1: I've seen that a lot as a lot as well too <laughs> in the dating community. And I agree with that, by the way, as, as uh, does several other marriage and family therapists that I've been talking to over the years as well. Um, people tend to, you know, come up with a whole list of qualities that they want to see in a person. And I don't find the list itself problematic. It's more so like, you saying to yourself, if somebody doesn't embody this, then I'm going to just like dismiss them. Because basically, what you're doing is saying, I'm, I'm gonna, you know, just dismiss this person before you even got a chance to really know them, which really is doing both them and yourself a huge disservice. And so I definitely think a reasonable non negotiable, would be um, staying away from people who are controlling, um, staying with anybody in general who limits your desires or your freedoms in any kind of capacity, whether that is very overt or that is something that is much more subtle. So like an example of what I mean there would be, I've seen this too, where, you know, people who are like subtly, abusive more often than Mm -hmm. not even though they're putting on a face Mm -hmm. you can see subtle ways that they're doing that very early on like the first few dates and so like an example would be I've seen someone say something like they'll frame a statement as if it's a compliment and because you don't know them people have a tendency to like give someone the benefit of the doubt and assume that their intention is good even though underneath it their intention was not good so they'll say something like I I like it I like it when you wore your hair uh shorter the last date or something like that I've actually heard someone say Mm. that or someone saying oh I loved you know when you wore your dress like this the last date
0: Mm. and kind of maybe mentioning it more than once like why aren't you doing it again because I told you that I liked it yes
1: even if they said it one time <laughs> okay that is an indication for you that this person may have some very controlling tendencies this may mm. be a person that is highly manipulative but but because those people who are really manipulative and abusive tend to be really intelligent as well they're good at having these kinds of like subtle statements and i know if you're not familiar with these topics hearing me say this may not seem like a big deal, but it will save you a lot of trouble <laughs> just yes. you know, listening to it and processing because their intention of saying that to you is to get you to change the way that you are doing something. Someone who is healthy and emotionally mature is someone that accepts you as you are. They're not trying to change you in any kind of capacity.
0: Mm. And so maybe that person is complimenting on how you look today and not necessarily like recalling, like seeing how you look today. And then even though you look fire today, I'm going to compliment you from like three weeks ago. Remember when you wore that one dress that was a little bit longer? I like that one.
1: Yes. A healthy partner would say, you look beautiful today. Or "I I love your new dress. That's different than what you usually wear. I love that.
0: Yeah. There's a difference. And it's so subtle. (laughs) It's so subtle. And like, I definitely could see how somebody just doesn't catch that. And then all of a sudden, they're starting to shift the way they talk or the way they dress. Yes. Because this person has stated that, like, oh, this is my preference of how you show up in the world versus, like, oh my gosh, this is, you look amazing.
1: Yes. Rule of thumb if they're limiting, your desires or your freedom in any capacity—it is a subtle form of abuse. Mm.
0: What are other red flags that that we can kind of spot on mm-hmm. um, that first date?
1: Oh, it's kind of hard to fu- to spot the like red flags that early on, only mm-hmm. because again, like you don't really know the person, so it's kind of hard to assess their intention behind saying something, right? Mm-hmm. So, like. Something that I think is just kind of like an overall theme is, you know, someone that invalidates you, like I'm saying, someone who does any of those subtly abusive kind of statements, anyone who is controlling, people who seem jealous early on. Oh my Mm. God, that is a huge red
0: Can we talk about that? I want to jump into that because (laughs) I, and this is just me watching Tiki (laughs) Talks, but I have seen that um particularly of women that are like maybe career focused and maybe really successful talking about experiencing jealousy when they're dating and subtle forms of uh, maybe like passive aggression Mm -hmm. when they're talking about their own career and the things that they are passionate about and what they do like um What are some signs of jealousy out out the gate? Mm -hmm. And maybe it's not the first date. Maybe it's like the fourth date.
1: Yeah. Some signs of jealousy. Um, If you are talking to someone else somewhere, like say maybe you went out, maybe early on, you're probably still having dates in a public setting. So like, I've seen this too. If a woman is talking to someone that literally works there, like a waiter that's serving them or something. Um, sometimes the man that's really kind of abusive will be really jealous and start asking a lot of questions about the previous interaction that you just had with that other ah. person. That is a huge red flag. Stay away. <laughs> yeah,
0: stay away. Huge red flag. That is huge. Red sign.
1: Yeah. Because although, you know, jealousy is a very common experience of all people, healthy and not. The difference is that a healthy person will, you know, regulate their emotions, they'll take a second to think before they speak, they're not going to go out of their way, you know, really trying to like pester you and demand answers to questions about like, who you were talking to, you know, um, what this person was saying to you. That is not good. That is not good. Mm. Away. Stay away. And passive aggressiveness, too. You know, um, you mentioned that that's a red flag as well. Actually, passive communication, passive aggressive communication, and aggressive communication are all red flags. Um, I do think it's still possible in some capacity to build something healthy with someone that embodies those three kinds of um, forms of communication, but it's going to take a lot of work and it'll take you through a lot of turmoil and stress that maybe you wouldn't have to deal with. If you just started out with someone (laughs) that was already like ready to be respectful towards you. Cause that's what a lot of it comes back to someone who truly respects you, which is a huge green flag when you're dating is not going to, you know, be sarcastic with you. They're not going to show contempt, which is how we define that in the marriage and family therapy field. Someone who mocks you, um, someone who's sarcastic is someone who's showing contempt and they're doing it also as a way to establish power and dominance over you mm, in a situation bring you
0: down a little bit. Yes, yeah. and it
1: may not even be something that they're doing consciously. But that's what ends up happening and you don't want to start off building out a relationship with someone that's trying to, you know, be like the power in the relationship. You're really supposed to be equal partners in a healthy dynamic.
0: Yeah, I love that. Um, these are all great suggestions, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. Like really great suggestions. Um, I, so I have another question around like what I call the rubber band effect. And this is something that, again, I'm an outsider looking in. But I see <laughs> my friends are going to be like, Ashley, what the hell? <laughs> Why are you talking about that? Um, but I see occasions where people leave a relationship. And maybe in that particular relationship, like, the communication was really bad. Or maybe there was, like, disrespect. Or maybe there wasn't, like, um like financial support or maybe there was infidelity, like whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. And I see that in the next relationship, the thing that was the biggest issue tends to like rubber band to like the main thing that I care about in this next partner is this one thing. Like if it was infidelity as to why they left the recent relationship well, the main thing I need is loyalty. And sometimes I'm like, but hold on, there's like a whole holistic human here. And yeah, they may be great here, but there were these other things that you valued before that were near the top of the list. And now they're at the bottom of the list because all you care about is this one thing that you want to kind of fill the previous gap that you had in your last relationship. So how do people like avoid this rubber band effect?
1: Um, the best way to avoid that is giving yourself adequate time, which looks different and unique to each individual person, but giving yourself adequate time to heal and process whatever that difficult experience was for you. It doesn't even have to be something that's necessarily traumatic, but if it's affecting you to, you know, to the point where you're like, I need to reprioritize my values, <laughs> that's mm. an indication that, Okay. Maybe I need to take a little bit of time for myself to really process through this and make sure that I'm in a place where my values beforehand are still at the forefront. And I'm going to use this past experience as a learning lesson for me, as a way for me to, you know, check in with what my past priorities were and see, you know, if they're they're still in alignment or if there's something that I want to change, but definitely take the time to heal from that. Um, and I want to say too, um, I hear a lot online nowadays too with people thinking that they have to be perfectly healed before they can get into a relationship. You know, people say things like, you can't love someone else until you love yourself. Like there is some truth to that, but that is not like the truth. You know, there's a lot of things that probably aren't even going to come up for you until you're in a relationship with another person. That's when things mm. start to come up. So you can still heal while you're with another person. But just mm. give yourself, also give yourself time before you jump into that so that the process yeah. is already started.
0: Yeah. I like the distinction and the call out there in terms of, like, do you have to be fully healed to be in a relationship? Because there is, I think there's a great shift. And of course, like focus on mental health and like, how can we mentally heal? Like, yes, physically, there's always been a focus on physicality, but mentally, how do we heal? And I think it's a great like uh, reminder that you don't necessarily have to be 100% healed. And like, I'm this like next level being and now i'm just i'm just floating into the date now um cuz i also think healing is like a forever journey yeah. in different ways but um i i also think and i'm not um in school for this but i think that <laughs> i think there's also the intention behind like how you are kind of moving through this life in terms of like i'm at this point where I am really intentional about my healing. And like, yeah, maybe you kind of like just started therapy a couple weeks ago. I don't know. Maybe you just started doing like shadow work, or maybe you're in a group, or maybe you have a mentor, I don't know, a life coach. But I think that there is a lot to be said for people that are have similar intentions. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe that is aligned with values, but similar intentions. So if somebody is like, very career focused and somebody else can also see the value in the intention of you, like being career focused, even if they're not like at the same point in their career, I think those things are really valuable. And sometimes we forget how valuable they're They actually are.
1: That is so true. And that goes along with what I was saying about like the definition of true compatibility and being able to work through differences. Like in the example you gave, okay, yes, this person is career driven, but the other person isn't. So the fact that they can recognize like this is something that's important to you and at this point in your life might be a core aspect of your personality and they can work with that. They respect that. They don't like insult it or try to throw it in your face or make it seem like that's a weakness of yours. That's a huge green flag that this is a a for sure sign that this is definitely someone that like you can build something with. Yeah. Wow.
0: I love that. Is Did we miss anything? I'm sure we could probably go on. But <laughs> Bianca, is there is there anything else that we might not have mentioned when it comes to like specifically that first date? Any red or green
1: flag or any advice that you have for people going into that first date? Into the first date? No, I think we kind of like touched on all the topics just because like the first date, just have fun. See if this yeah. is someone that like, you could just have fun with because if you can have fun with them there's a good chance it is not a guarantee but there's a good chance that like maybe this is someone that maybe you could start to at least build a little bit of something with it may not be a full-blown relationship but it might just be you know it might end up being a friend or just you know a good support person in your corner and in a healthy relationship by the way you should be having fun even though you yes. will have challenges. I think sometimes people don't like realize that you have yeah. more good interactions in and healthy relationship than you do one that is poor. So yes. it's important. Don't skip that part.
0: Yes, that is so that is seems like common sense. Right. But I think it's really important to highlight that the base of your relationship should be like Good fun interaction, because if it's not like, what is the point of it?
1: Yeah, for me,
0: at least like (laughs) there is so much going on in this world that your home base or your person should be like a source of like happiness, like you guys should be able to kind of like giggle at the same thing. And like, I don't know, I think like, don't forget to like your heart should feel happy the most of the time.
1: Yes, definitely. Um, And I actually just thought about something real quick that I want to say that is also a really cool sign that I really don't hear people talking about very often. Um, When you're dating someone, right, if you have the same level of humor, that's a good sign. But also on the other way too. like, say, if you joke in a kind of way, but the other person isn't very receptive to that, it doesn't mean that like, you're not compatible a really huge green flag if you notice that you have a different style of like joking is if you know you just bring it up to them in a lighthearted way just like let them know um you know i i prefer to like joke like this or something and then they start joking like that the next mm-hmm. couple of dates and they don't go back to like that other form with you that's a really good sign that that person respects your boundaries
0: mm so, like if somebody's really sarcastic or like maybe has like dry humor, could that also just be a point where like maybe this maybe this isn't a good fit if this is just kind of like how I joke versus like i like where I guess where does the line like is that gray area
1: so it can be, but this the way that you know is if you bring it up to the person and they're able to change it and they don't joke in that negative way with you anymore. That's a good Mm -hmm. sign because then that shows that that person, first of all, was receptive to the boundary that you put up. And then they understood, Okay, this makes you uncomfortable. So I'm not going to joke with you in that way. That is a boundary that you have. So instead, I'm going to joke in a way that makes you feel good, that actually makes you laugh Mm -hmm. and you find it funny. That's more of a sign of compatibility than just outright somebody who just shares the same level of humor with another person, because I see that a lot with people, even in trauma bonded relationships, right? Like they have the same level of humor and kinds of jokes that they share, but they're missing all the other like foundational components that are important to a relationship. And, you know, they're doing these jokes. And so they think that that's like a sign of chemistry you know, because people prioritize mm. chemistry a lot, especially early on. But most people who are not educated on these topics are experts on them. They confuse chemistry with trauma and activated attachment wounding.
0: Ooh, okay. So- activated attachment wounding. <laughs> Come on, Bianca, <laughs> Tell what it, what is that? Because I haven't heard that before, but it sounds interesting.
1: Yes. So it goes back to different um, attachment styles that people have. So in a nutshell, if you're not familiar with attachment styles, every single person has one and your attachment style is pretty much developed and almost pretty much set in stone unless you go through intensive therapy later on in your life. It's set in stone the first year of life that you're on this earth. So it's very um, critical the first year that either your parents or whoever your primary caregiver or caregivers are, are receptive to you crying, they're responsive to you when you are nervous, you're sad, um, you're fearful, and they show themselves to be very consistent with you. They are very much involved in your development and things that you find interesting, even babies like looking around at something you know you see those parents that are engaging like oh what are you looking at even though the baby Mm -hmm. can't respond it's it seems small like many of these things we've been talking about but it actually has an impact on the limbic system of your brain and Mm -hmm. your limbic system over time, will start to develop. And if you have an insecure attachment style, it affects the way that your brain develops, and you will become more familiar, and it will feel more comfortable to you being around people who, uh, who embody dynamics that are familiar to you within that like first year of your life. So if you had an inconsistent parent, you're going to be more attracted to inconsistent partners. And so Mm. people confuse, you know, that laughter, like that chemistry with
0: familiarity to what they had before. Yes.
1: And they, that's all they know. So in their minds, right. Like they feel like this is a good thing because they feel excited about it. They feel happy being with this person, but like most of the time activated attachment, feels exciting. It feels like Mm. chemistry, but it's not true chemistry. It's attachment. And those things can be very, very closely intertwined, especially, you know, if your limbic system has developed in a certain kind of way.
0: Hmm. So how do you avoid that happening? Because (laughs) I mean, it is, it is a familiar, like a familiar feeling of like, like home like oh this person like i just they just get me yes but maybe it's not that they get you it's that there is this puzzle piece from the attachment side Mm -hmm. that fits but it's not necessarily in line with the type of relationship that you want
1: yes the best tip that i have for you is that activity that i was saying earlier in the episode you know really um getting familiar with those three to five emotions and how they feel in your body, because let's, let's call it like it is. If you, and I'm not, I ain't coming at y'all cause I didn't grow up with a secure attachment style. There's She's a lot not of here to done. attack y'all. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but if, you know, you have an insecure attachment style. You're probably not really used to feeling calm in your body. Your nervous system has developed in a very specific way that those, fe- those things feel exciting to you, even though they're not mm. necessarily good. So that is my best tip for getting yourself outside of that cycle where you keep picking, you know, the same kind of inconsistent negative partners that aren't great for you. Get comfortable with what those three positive emotions feel like in your body, especially calm, feeling calmness, right? Mm-hmm. Because most of us who have those kinds of insecure attachment styles have problems with anxiety. If you're listening to this episode, you have problems with anxiety, yeah. right? You're so, probably
0: here because of anxiety.
1: Exactly. So,
0: it's all, it all connects, you guys. She's here for a reason. It's all going to connect.
1: Exactly. So... You really want to get comfortable with what those things feel like. And I want to say, too, real quick, if you're with someone that makes you, you know, calm, this might be someone that is healthy, that you can build with. It probably won't feel that exciting to you in the beginning.
0: Oh, say that again now, (laughs) Bianca, because (laughs) I think people might hear, go have fun with, like, this person should, like, where is this spark? Where is this firework? Like, I remember... um, I have, I know people that are like obsessed with the spark, yes. the initial spark, like, Oh my God, if the spark is there, then they're my soulmate. And that's, that's yes. my twin flame. And that's it. But um, as someone who was never, I won't say never, I can't say never, but as someone who wasn't so obsessed with the spark and probably more like finding somebody that I was comfortable with, it was always hard for me to relate to like this intense need that couple of my friends had of I have to find somebody where like it's an explosion in my, you know, in my body and my the butterflies are flying and like yes, those feelings feel great, but yeah, I wonder how much of that is actually not healthy.
1: Yeah. Um a lot of it unfortunately isn't like, you know, butterflies by the way are more often than not, not always, but more often than not, they are a sign as well, too, that there might be some activated attachment going on.
0: Really? Yeah. Wow. Okay. <laughs> it ain't
1: always. It ain't always. ain't always good butterflies. Yeah. It ain't always, always because, yeah, <laughs> and this is why I'm saying this, too. Again, if you're here, you're struggling with anxiety. And the thing is, like, anxiety and excitement I don't know if you guys know this but like you your body can't tell the difference between you feeling anxious and you feeling excited what makes it feel different to you is literally what you tell yourself in your mind about what you're experiencing if you tell yourself I'm feeling anxious okay then you're feeling anxious you tell yourself oh no this is just me feeling excited you're gonna start to feel excited
0: so that's why when I'm up at 2 a.m. and I'm like, I'm having so much fun editing my podcast because this is so great and I'm yeah. looking for new stuff. And then an hour later, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm exhausted. Yes. What did I just do?
1: Yes. What have I done? It's very it's very similar. Like, your, your body can't tell the difference, but your mind can. Yeah. And part of that is what you're telling yourself about what you're experiencing is your meanings and associations behind the sensations.
0: Wow. Mind blown. <laughs> All right. That's
1: what I'm here for.
0: (laughs) Okay. Before you go, I want to know dating apps. Yes or no?
1: Ooh, okay. They are a yes if you are on the right one and you are finding someone that you are interested in and that is very respectful towards you. Then it's a yes. But I will say a lot of the time, it's a no. If you are looking for something, you know, healthy, specifically, that's a non-negotiable for you, Um, you're looking for something that can last long-term, it's not my first recommendation for you (laughs) because Mm. there's a lot of, you know, instances on there. I just was reading something the other day and I can't remember the exact percentage, but it was a ridiculously high percentage of um, women who are on dating apps who end up being sexually assaulted in some type of capacity so that's really, really alarming yeah that's alarming so um wow I not, never knew that yeah it's 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 a big problem but I would recommend maybe if you use a dating app try to use one that has safeguards on it like something that you know maybe you can be uh, vetted. By like uh, the, the person you're interested in can be like vetted by another person who's like, yes, this is a solid person. This is a nice person. I'm starting to see more dating apps that are, you know, including that feature on them and do something, you know, especially that can verify that the person that's behind the like screen the is the person. real person. Um, yeah. that can kind of lessen some of those negative. Yeah, instances. no catfishes. Yeah. No
0: catfishes.
1: Make sure it's like actually an app that has certain things in place to protect you. Like if you if you don't respond at a certain time, um, it'll send a notification to someone else or make sure you're like on an app that can track your location. Things like that kind of help, mm-hmm. I think, to make them a little bit more safe, even if you are meeting in a public area things can still happen. I've, I've heard the horror stories. And like I said, there it's a ridiculously high percentage. I just can't remember the exact number.
0: Yeah. Oh my gosh. You guys be safe out there. Yeah. Um, and just my advice when you're going on these initial dates, I mean, literally you can do it on every date, your people, like send them your location, share your location, tell them where you're going. I know for me when I was younger and dating, I like was very not secretive, but it was just kind of like my business. Like I wasn't, I didn't really <laughs> feel the need to tell everybody where I was going, yeah. but I also wasn't meeting people through dating apps. I was meeting people like that. I went to the same college with, you know, mm-hmm. people that I knew, knew enough, you know, but I think nowadays things are very different. Um. So yeah, like I have a friend that would like take a picture of the person's license yeah, and share her location and be like, just FYI. This is who picked me up. And just so you know, so like, take as much precaution as you can. Like, we got to stay safe out here. Um, and that's like, whether you're out there dating, like, whoever, whether you're in like a same sex relationship, LGBT, whether you're in like a hetero relationship, like, regardless of who you're dating, make sure to take those precautions and like share your location, tell people where you're going like, have a code word, like, do all the things, and if you need help, or if you're in a situation where you do need help, like, ask for help, please don't hesitate to ask for help, because chances are, like, you might not be that first person that has experienced that with that person, so.
1: Yeah, I saw a study on this, too, saying that nowadays, within the past, like, 10 or so years, or something like that, um, a lot of these, offenders who eventually over time have to be registered as sex offenders literally were able to seek out victims through dating apps so like there are literal criminals (laughs) using these platforms to find someone to literally do this to so just you know be careful be careful out here
0: tell at least
1: one person
0: where you're at you know yeah Y'all, I didn't mean for this to go down this path, but <laughs> I do think it's really important because sometimes we just be moving and grooving through life and um, maybe underestimating people and like of all the things to look out for, as we've been talking about on the first date, I think safety should be at the top um, yes. in doing whatever it needs to be done to keep yourself safe, um, whether that is like, you know, making sure you're in a public setting making sure it's during the day having a friend come with you and sit on the other side of the, the the restaurant or be at the coffee shop next door whatever you need to do to make yourself feel more comfortable and safe please do it because um yeah i want y'all to be safe out there
1: yeah and don't um if you can avoid this this is one last thing on like green flags um, yeah if you can avoid the first couple dates, at least till you like start getting to know someone. If you can avoid going out on dates at nighttime, do that, just yeah, completely avoid that, you know, because it can be really dangerous. Um, and there's so many experiences where women have had bad stories where you know maybe they rejected a, a date <laughs> during yeah. the date and you know they ended up. Being followed somewhere, or you know that person started making them feel really uncomfortable. So just proceed with caution because you don't know someone the first couple of dates, and they may appear uh, outwardly to be one way, but they're another way on the inside. So just, yeah,
0: yeah, don't be paranoid, y'all. Just move yeah. with caution.
1: Yeah, just yeah. tell someone Protect where you're yourself. at. You'll, you'll be alright. yes, daytime. take pictures, yeah. share some pictures
0: have a password, have like a like a code word, say pineapple if you know you you're in trouble and you just got to write something real fast. I don't know. But do whatever you need to do to protect yourself. Um I hope that the this advice for like how to navigate that beginning part of the dating rituals that y'all have have been helpful for you. Um I learned some things as I always do with conversations with Bianca, but I learned some things today. I hope that you guys found this helpful. Let me know, like slide into the DMs. Was this helpful? Are you going to use this advice? Um, Are you sharing your location with your friends now? Like, let me know if this is helpful. Are you looking out for green flags? Are you the red flag? And now you've realized it. Like, has she called you out today? And now you're like, damn, maybe I got to circle back to my therapist, mentor, whoever. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) figure out some things. I don't know. Um, But Bianca, thank you so much for coming on again. Like love having conversations with you. And this was, this was great. But can you tell everyone where they can get in touch with you? If they want to work with you, how, how do they do that?
1: Yes. My website is the absolute best place to reach out with me. I consistently update my website and I'm always putting out helpful resources on there. And I'm much more active through that in my email than I am like on social media and if you as well want to learn, you know, more ways for you to be a healthy partner as well as finding a healthy partner, if you go to my website, BiancaWard.com, you'll see on the homepage I have a new free mini ebook that I just put out. I'm sharing secrets from the marriage and family therapy field that'll help you. I'm sharing things that probably you've never heard of unless you know, um, you work in this field yourself and you're very qualified. Um, I've spent a lot of time, you know, um, working in this field and being able to craft content that I think would be valuable, especially for women in this community who struggle with things like anxiety and insecure attachment styles. So definitely make sure you get your hands on that while you can. Again, that is biancaward.com. You can pick that up and it's easy to download.
0: Yay. So make sure you guys, if you're interested, go ahead over to dot Grab that ebook y'all. It's just like, like she's amazing. Grab the ebook. If you're looking for more advice, direction, reach out to her. She's amazing. And, um, yeah, I just want to thank you guys for joining. I hope you have a happy Valentine's day, whether that's with you, your partner, your partners with an S I don't know. Um, <laughs> I hope you enjoy your day. I hope you stay safe. And I hope uh, out of everything you get today, I hope you are giving yourself some love today. So I will catch y'all on the flip side. Thanks, Bianca. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Black Girls Have Anxiety Too. No matter where you are in the world, I really appreciate your support. See you again on the next episode, but until then, follow us on Instagram at Black Girls Have Anxiety Too and on Twitter at Anxious Black Girls. That's anxious, B-L-K, girls. And remember, just because you're struggling doesn't mean you have to struggle in silence. The more we talk about it, the more we heal.